Good morning. How's everybody doing? The spiritual elite here today. This is, I mean, we've had a lot of people sick this past month and a half. This is absolutely incredible. We're praying for all you guys back home. We love you and we miss you. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Continuing on in our series on the doctrines of grace, we will uh, read the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. The word of the Lord. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We will get you one. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. Hold on a second. This is what happens when you mark your Bible up a bunch. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is from God. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace, immeasurable riches of your grace in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray today that we would walk away um, having uh, our hearts and our minds just opened and renewed to how wonderful your great love is, um, to know that it is the best thing going on in this life and in our lives, um, to be able to look at our circumstances and in life um, and, and have a living hope because of your grace and because of our future, our bright future that we have um, because we are in your son. Lord, help us to leave here today with gratitude with assurance, with rest, with joy, life, hope. Lord, by the power of your spirit, through your word, minister to your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. All right. Irresistible grace is the next one in line in TULIP. Total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, and now irresistible grace. It's also called because people, some people don't like that phrase, irresistible grace, because it, has, it can conjure up an idea that, that God draws us to him and saves us, and the whole time he's doing it, we're kicking and screaming, but it's, his grace is so irresistible, 
regardless of our kicking and screaming, he still does what he's going to do. That's not what irresistible grace is. So it has been titled, I do like better effectual calling um, or effectual grace. Actually, I think I'm leaning towards effectual grace. I like it a lot. Um, which is just God's grace is effectual. It is irresistible to the people that God has chosen before the foundations of the world. All right. God, we, 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 when we talk about the doctrine of God, before we even talk about these doctrines, you have to get that right, that he is all knowing, he is all powerful, he is infinite, he is eternal, he is sovereign, he is, he is uh, everlasting, all those things, you get those things situated. Then you, you start talking about the doctrine of man. He is holy. Um, and then we find out that we're not real quickly, all right, um, that we are totally depraved or radically depraved, which, again, doesn't mean that we are the worst people we could possibly be. But it does mean that everything we do, even on our best days and our best works, have no uh, salvific value to them, okay, no eternal value. Um, then you get into the fact that it's like, okay, God is holy, we clearly are not. We know then that the wages of sin is death. There, there is no hope. What's the whole point of, of God then creating a world, creating a people? He knew that the people were going to fall into sin. He knew what Adam and Eve were going to do. So there's just what? There's no hope. We're, God created us all just to go to hell because we all would agree that that's what sinners deserve. Um, that's what the Word of God declares. The wages of sin is death. And we, we, we agree with that statement. I know then the grace of God comes flying through the front door. And we find out that before God ever created the world, that he had already decided, not based on anything they would do. It's not on foreknowledge does not mean foresight, although, of course, God does have foresight. Foreknowledge meaning forelove, that God foreloved a certain group of people out of all the people that were going to deserve the just wrath of God, to pour out his mercy, love, and grace on. And so he takes them out of that, and he knows who those people, he has done that before the foundations of the world. Of course, he would have to do that before the foundations of the world because God knows everything, all right? And so then he sends his son, all right, to live a perfect life that these people need. They need a righteousness. They don't just need forgiveness of sin. They need the active and the passive obedience of Christ applied to their lives. And his son then accomplishes salvation for those people. He lives a perfect life. He dies the death those people should have. He lives the life they should have lived. He dies the death they deserved. He rises again three days later. And in doing that, he accomplishes then salvation for the elect, for the people that he chose before the foundations of the world. Okay, then in real time then in our lives, the Holy Spirit then applies salvation to those people. Christ accomplishes it, and the Holy Spirit applies it to the people. And how does he do that? Well, if we're locked in to the, the, the progression here, if we have a right view of sin and a right doctrine of man, leading us to conclude that man is totally depraved, that man is dead in his trespasses and sins, as we see here in Ephesians 2, that no, the natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit, that the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. The natural man hears the gospel and in his own power and strength thinks that that's, that's, a, foolish, that's a foolish gospel. It's no gospel at all. It's foolishness. When we understand that, then we then know for people to get saved, cool, unbelievable, that, that Christ accomplishes salvation. But then what? If we are dead in our trespasses and sins, 
if if the nat if if for us in our own power and strength before Christ that we don't even understand anything of the spirit, let alone the greatest spiritual truth in the history of the world, which is the gospel. Now what? What's our hope? Well, our hope is in the fact that the Holy Spirit then irresistibly draws by the grace of God, the elect to them. How does that happen? Through the proclamation of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. Then people are drawn. Now they're not drawn kicking and screaming. What happens is God makes them alive, bursts them again, gives them a new heart. And when, they, when God does that, then God's people willingly, it's, it's irresistible in, in the fact that, uh, think of your, your, your favorite dessert. It's irresistible in that way. No one's keeping you from it. If that's, how, that's what we mean when we think of irresistible. God's people willingly come running to the throne of grace. To receive salvation. God's people willingly repent of their sins and say, I need you, Christ. And then God's people then start to do something that they never, they, they never could do, never wanted to do before that moment, and that is they start to love God and they start to love people. They start to love his word. They start to love the church. They start to love to gather together. They start to hate sin and love righteousness. They desire the fruit of the Spirit to grow more and more in their life. Joy, gentleness, love. They, they start to now have this living hope, and they have this living in peace, and all this stuff founded on the eternal, sovereign God and His grace poured out on sinners. And so it's, I mean, this is basically salvation is of the Lord's sermon part 3,000 or 5,000, all right? It's a logical flow from total depravity that something must happen in man for him to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is the argument from Scripture that what that thing is, is that God, but God intervenes, makes alive, births again, makes a new creation, removes the blinders, however you want to put it. And so, already, and this is just a little bit of, I'm not apologetic about these things. Uh, I guess I kind of used to be, and I'm not anymore. When you start to really see that these are the doctrines of grace, there's no reason to be apologetic. But, you know, and I'm also not doing as many much as apologetics anymore from the pulpit. But just to get some of that stuff out of the way quickly, all right, we could think, okay, Jesus clearly tells people to repent. He clearly tells people to believe. What are we to think of that? Well, we have this idea in our brains, this, this thinking that, that ought, okay, means can. That what you ought to do, you can do. But as the scriptures clearly show, when Jesus says people ought to believe, he never, ever, ever find it. You will not find it. He never, ever, ever, ever says people can believe. He never says it, ever. And in fact, all right, Jesus absolutely destroys and devastates the logic of the position that ought implies can. And he does that if you want to know exactly where in John chapter 6. Jesus says this is what you ought to do, but then he says you cannot do this in your own power and strength. He devastates the idea that ought 
that, that we can do the commands of God. And, and then just go beyond salvation. We read the law every day, every Sunday here, all right? Think about that. Can the unbeliever do anything that the law requires? No. Now, it can look like they're doing stuff on the outside, right? Yes. But Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount squashes that whole idea, correct? That it's not about the outward stuff. It's about what's going on in the heart. And, and we think about then now, now, okay, so we know unbelievers can't do the law, but yet they're, they're told to do it. Um, we know believers then are still what? Told to do the what? The law. Not for righteousness, not for salvation, but for life, for living. Can we do it? No, we still don't do it very well. Some better than others. Hopefully the older that you get, the better you get at it. But I mean, I, I think it was last week we read from the law, love God with all your heart. Hmm. <laughs> oh no. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh no. And, and, and so we can't even do it. But that doesn't mean that we're not supposed to do it. I mean, God's law is, again, rooted in the character of God, and God is never changing. His law is not going to change. His commands don't change just because people can't do it. And the gospel doesn't change just because people can't believe it. And I would say and stand up here and declare to you that the reason the gospel is good news is because God does it. That's why it would be horrible news for the gospel to be, hey, Jesus died for you. He lived for you. He's your savior. Repent and believe. And then, and then nothing. That you're, you're, you would just be reminded of what you can't do. Basically, the gospel then would become law. The gospel wouldn't be good news. It would become bad news. The gospel wouldn't be setting us free. There would be no now, no condemnation. Actually, the gospel would bring condemnation and establish it forever. And God would be just and righteous and holy to, to do that. But he doesn't. He's merciful. He's full of grace and full of love. And in that great mercy and great love and great grace, he makes people alive. And you know what? Free will is absolutely totally overrated. The fact that we would be offended that God would, would what? Change our wills? Is incredible when you think about it. Like, I could care less about the free will thing. I am so, all I care about, and I didn't care about this in my own free will, <laughs> is God's will. That's all I want. I want God's will. I even want God's will ultimately in the things that make me nervous about how he's going to do that in my life because I'm such a, a, a brute and such an idiot. And like, it's like pulling teeth sanctification in my life. And yet for some reason, I want that no matter what, no matter what it takes, I want God's will in my life. And so irresistible grace, effectual grace, effectual calling is God saving his people. Matthew Barrett, who is, if you want to know, he's my favorite living theologian read everything he writes. He says, there is much ought in John 6, but there is no can to be found. To the contrary, Jesus only affirms a cannot over and over and over again. In short, this is, this is how we got to think about it. If you could believe the gospel with your old heart, there would be no reason for God to give you a new heart. But we can't. And so he does. 
And so I'm going to walk through real quick just Ephesians 2, all right? Notice the first section, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That, that's, that's total depravity. And there's, there's no hope for us. We lived according to the ways of the world, according to Satan, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We, too, all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. We were by nature children under wrath. Whose wrath? God's wrath. Just as the others were. And so we know if that's true, then what that we know that what we deserve is, is condemnation. We deserve judgment. We deserve eternal hell. We know that if we're dead, now we can get all weird out and again and try to make these words not mean what they mean. This is, of course, uh, figuratively speaking, but he's making a point that we are spiritually dead, incapable. And I know the illustration falls short that a dead man can't do this and and so, therefore, a dead spiritually man can't do that. I know all illustrations fall short, but it, Paul is making a simple point that, that if you set aside your own, um, you know, uh, preconceptions, that, that you, would just, you, you would just be like, this is actually pretty simple. This is a pretty obvious point, that we're dead in our trespasses and sins, spiritually dead, unable to, and, and it just fits right in flow with what the Scriptures say, everything else about man's depravity. All right? We don't need to get cute. But praise the Lord, it doesn't stop there. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive. That's effectual calling, effectual grace, irresistible grace. Even though we were dead, you are saved by grace, exclamation mark. And then he says, he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly, in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through Christ Jesus. It's so much grace that people dead in their trespasses and sins, and God then makes alive that he does that to receive glory and to display the immeasurable riches of his grace. I just, I've warned you, don't take away from it. Just don't. Don't, I mean, don't take away from how un unbelievable the grace of God is in birthing again and regenerating and making alive and, and making new creations out of old creations, out of dead men, out of dead bones, out of men and, that are rejectors and enemies of God and foaming out the mouth when they hear the gospel. Yeah. It's incredible grace upon glorious grace. Four, verse eight you are saved by grace, through faith, through, by, by what? Grace, through faith. Not by faith. It's okay if you use that term, but it's through faith, all right? We are saved by grace. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Oh, this is all part of the irresistible grace, the effectual calling, the effectual grace of God. He, he births us again. He makes us alive. He gives us the faith to believe in him. He accomplishes all of salvation. Now people will argue about this. They're wrong. There's no way around this. I've seen all the cute little, that doesn't mean there, and there's, you could put a comma there. This is just a just simple reading. All of salvation is God's gift. We call it the gift of salvation. 
Therefore, everything that is required and under salvation is then a gift too. Faith being one of those. And, and it's, it's, there is no hope without any of this irresistible grace. There is no hope at all. Yeah, but what does the Bible say elsewhere? This is the classic go-to thing. What else does the Bible? I am glad that you asked because I have more verses this week than I did last week. And I want us, what I want us to see is we're just going to walk through the Bible. I even put them in chronological order as they appear in my Bible. We're just going to walk and see. Is this, I mean, is this, are you just doing a thing here? Or, or is the Bible really do this? Well, let's take a walk. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Don't flip through your Bibles. I will go way too fast for you. Trust me. I, I wouldn't do it, all right? Unless you were just, the, like, got the Guinness Book of World Record in Bible flipping. All right. Deuteronomy, all the way back in Deuteronomy, we hear this. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants, and you will love him with all your heart and all your soul so that you will live. The Lord your God, effectual grace, effectual calling, irresistible grace. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart, and you will love him with all your heart and all your soul. God, God's going to do a thing. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. God don't care about a jack about our free will. And praise the Lord, he doesn't. I will cause, I will, I will give, I will put my spirit, I will remove, I will give you a heart of foot, I will place my spirit within you, and I will cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances, and all the people of God say, praise the Lord, hallelujah. What a gracious God. John 1, he came, Jesus, to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, ooh, so people did receive him. He gave them the right to be the children of God. To those who believe in his name. Ah, there it is. People believe. I thought you said we can't believe. Well, let's keep reading. Who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. God does it. Those who believe, those who receive throughout the history of the world it's because, not because of the will of man, it's not because of the will of the flesh, it's not because of my power or my thinking or my genius or my desires, it's because of God. It is because of the will of God. God births his people again in order that they may live. This is what they would call regeneration preceding faith. John 3, truly I tell you to Nicodemus, Unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I mean, we know this verse inside. We've been hearing this verse since we were toddlers going to church, if you were a toddler going to church. But we've always, most of us, have heard it wrong. 
Truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So in that, we already have depravity. We talked about this end of depravity. That, that's, this is highlighting the depravity of man. That someone ha- you have to be born of God to see the kingdom of God. And again, remember we talked about it. We hear preaching that is, you have to be born again, and here's how you get born again. You do something that is impossible. That is That absolutely is you birthing yourself again. To then be born again? That's you giving yourself a new heart so you can what? Get a new heart? That is you uh, recreating yourself into a new creation so what? So you can be a new creation? That is dead men living in their own strength and power. No, Jesus says, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born of water in the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we don't walk into the kingdom of God and then get born again, which is That's the gospel that we hear our whole lives. There are thousands and thousands of churches that are going to say this, that that thing today and call it the gospel. That that you walk, you enter the kingdom of God and then God bursts you again. And here's, you have faith, you believe. You, 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 do, 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 do. Like stinky do-do. You do all that and then God's going to birth you again. That's not how it works. That is the exact opposite of what Jesus is saying here. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Beautiful. Praise God. Later on in John 3, he says, no one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from above. This is effectual calling. This is effectual grace. This is irresistible grace. We need to receive, and God gives. This is the gospel. No one can receive anything. Later on, Paul says, this is my only verse that's out of order, sorry, but it highlights the same thing. Paul says, who, what makes you so superior to these, uh, you know, these uber wannabe apostles in the church of Corinth? What do you have that you didn't receive? If, in fact, you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? There's that word again, boast. And so everything that we've received, we have to receive from heaven. And we, then Paul says, what do you have that you haven't received? We've received it all, including salvation. In every aspect, under it, faith, regeneration, new heart, birth again, new creation. It's all a gift. John 5, and just as the Father raises the dead and gives gives them life, so the Son also gives life to whomever he wants. He does it. We don't give ourselves life. And God doesn't give us life based on a response from us that we conjure up in our own power and strength. We don't reach into our brains and metaphorically turn the light bulb on and have an aha moment in our own power and strength. We do not. John 6, everyone the Father gives me. Now, I believe this giving is not talking about the giving that happens before the foundations of the world, although that is certainly true. I believe this is the giving that happens in real life, in real time, in our own experience. And he says, everyone that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. So whoever the Father chooses, 
in real time, then he actually then, he, something happens where he gives them to Jesus. And what happens is new birth, regeneration. That's what happened, new heart. What happens is irresistible grace. This is the effectual calling. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's effectual calling, the drawing. The drawing isn't like, giddy, 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 giddy. The, the drawing isn't, please, 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 please. The drawing is the drawing that you would, that uh, the same word is actually used for drag. That might be going a little too much there because that then makes us think we're being dragged, but it means compel. And it's like to draw water, and this is how it's used back then historically in other literature. It's, it's, it's used to draw water out of a well. Now, we don't go water, 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 jump in the bucket, bucket, bucket. That's not what we do. And we lower the bucket down, and we forcefully drag water up in a bucket, and that's what God does for us and does to us, and praise the Lord that he does. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is how the people of God come to God. The people who were not people now are a people, and the reason they become people is because God supernaturally draws them by the power of his spirit and the power of his word, the gospel. John 6, the spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. Well, then why is he telling people to do something they can't believe? Because he is going to pour out his mercy and grace. The spirit is the one who gives life. Again, the flesh does not help at all. We don't give ourselves new life. And I'm, that's what people think when they think they put the cart before the horse that they are saved because they somehow believed. No, you're saved because God saved you. The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. The coming, the coming, the coming is not in our own power and strength. It is a supernatural work of God's grace. The Jews, all right, surrounded Jesus, and they said, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. He said, I did tell you, and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe because you are not my sheep. Whew. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand. The sheep, they know him, and the sheep hear his voice because he opens their eyes and opens their ears and gives them a new heart. These sheep were just like the other sheep. And then in a, in a second, out of nowhere, they're different. And they were his sheep before the foundations of the world, but in real time, God burst them again. He makes them new sheep. And they believe and they follow Jesus. They follow their shepherd. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who did the people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist. See, this is what people do in their own power and strength. Elijah, others say. Some people say Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. But you, he says, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, 
because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Irresistible grace, made alive, new heart, new eyes, new sight, new ears, new everything. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and revealed them to infants. Revealed. God does the revealing. He hides and he reveals. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son, who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son. No one knows. And anyone to whom the Son desires, except for those that the Son desires to reveal himself to. No one knows in their own power and strength that the Son is the Son and the Father is the Father. The God of our ancestors, Acts 5, raised up Jesus, whom you have murdered by hanging him on a tree. God exalted this man to the right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We have grown up thinking that repenting is something that, that we do. Now, we do do it, but we only do it because it's been given to us. Repentance is so beautiful, it's, it's, and it has to be, and it especially is when you know that it's a gift of God. To be able to say, Lord, forgive me, is, it's incredible that you would even suggest an idea or think of such a thing. It's God's grace in your life that he's even given you that. And then grace upon glorious grace, he says to his kids, I forgive you. It's incredible. And he gives the forgiveness of sins. So in Acts 11, as I, Peter, began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them. This is when he's showing them the testimony of the Holy Spirit coming down on the Gentiles as well. Just as on us at the beginning, I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he also gave us to when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? When they heard this, they became silent and they glorified God saying, so then, guys, this is incredible. When you think about the Jew and Gentile thing, it was not a good thing. And these guys are so blown away by this testimony they start glorifying God, saying, so then God has given repentance, resulting in life even to the Gentiles. God's irresistible grace is not just up here in the clouds. It's everything. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening to the gospel being preached by Paul. The Lord... She is not the exception to the rule. She is the rule. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. She didn't open her own heart. This is, this is why it's not just up here. It's, it's everything. This is how people come to have eternal life in Christ Jesus, is that God opens their hearts. Romans 8, for those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called. Effectual calling, irresistible grace. And those he called, he also justifies. And those he justifies, he also glorifies. Praise the Lord. Romans 9, he tells Moses, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. 
I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. We're not born again in our own power and strength. I mean, he says it over and over again. It's God. But if our gospel, well, 1 Corinthians again, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, yet to those who are called, effectual calling, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For those that are experiencing and have experienced the irresistible grace of God, it is not a stumbling block. The cross is not foolishness. It is the power of God. It is the wisdom of God. What, what is the difference? The calling, the rebirthing, the regeneration, the new heart. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, ooh, man, now we're getting in creation and new creation. God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. One of the greatest verses in the history of the world. That's what we were up against, dead in trespasses and sins, being blinded and, and maneuvered around by the God of this world. Eyes blinded, ears shut, and then God, though, the same power of creation is the same power that then just blows up in our hearts, and then we see God for who he is in the face of Jesus Christ. We get new wills. Simple. Colossians 1.13, he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loved. He, he. He, we didn't rescue ourselves. We played no part. We didn't even reach for like we're drowning and they throw you the thingamajibber that looks like, what is that thing? The life preserver thing? We, we didn't even reach. We didn't even go like little Jurassic Park, no, dinosaur hands. We didn't even like do this. We didn't even put a pinky on it. We made no move. No, he rescued, he transferred us into the kingdom of God. When you were dead in trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave all our trespasses. There it is. I love this in Timothy. He's talking about uh, uh, just being kind to people. And he says, be kind to people. That's paraphrase. Because perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Then they may come to their senses birthed again, new heart, and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. It's all God. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and this love for mankind appeared, his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Well, how? Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy. How? Through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That's how. Through his grace through making us alive, giving us a new heart, through regeneration. James, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruit of his creatures. There it is. They're all right there, by his choice. 
He gave us birth. We didn't give ourselves, we did not give ourselves birth. We weren't born again after we born ourselves again. We weren't given a new heart after we gave ourselves a new heart. We didn't believe after we believed. No, we were given new life by Christ and in Christ and for Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Two more. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living, enduring word of God. There it is. How are, you have been, how are we born again? By the Holy Spirit, through the proclamation of the word of God, the word of God ultimately being the gospel of Jesus Christ. He does it. And I'll end with this one. And I could keep going. And I know this doesn't bore you guys. How could it? Almost all these verses, at least the last 25 of them, are all about praise the Lord, glorious grace. John says, everyone who believes that Jesus Christ, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Let's read it slowly, okay? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So you need to go get born again? Yes. How do you do that? You By believing? No. No, that's not what it says. John doesn't say that everyone who believes will then be born of God. He says that everyone who believes has been born of God. John 5.1. And if you're, you miss it, so if you think on one end that you don't see and enter the kingdom of God, you have to be born again in order to do that, then you, if you think that you, you believe and then you get born again, then you could see how you could miss that. This, you, would, you could think that this verse is saying that everyone who believes is then born of God. But actually, both, both of those uh, verses are actually right there in front of our faces are saying the exact opposite of what most of us have been taught our whole life. And I mean, it is clear and clean as day that it's saying the opposite. You must be born again to then enter the kingdom of God. And then here it says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And what is the application of it all? It is to know that salvation is of the Lord. That's it, through and through. It is to know, we, before we do stuff or think stuff, like think good things, which we're going to think good things, it is simply to know that salvation is of the Lord. God draws his people and prays him for it. God saves his people, people on, that, that were enemies of, of Christ, people that hung him on the cross, people that want nothing to do with God all of a sudden do, and it's not because they just one day woke up and decided that they wanted to have something to do with God. No, what happened was God, before the foundations of the world, decided he wanted to have something to do with people. And praise him that he chose us. And praise him that in real time, he blew the top off of our, our, our own willpower, our own free will, and gave us a new will and this freedom to love God and to love others and to love his commands, to love holiness. And what do we do, what do, we do with it? We just we rest. Again, remember, all these sermons are meant to highlight um, assurance and, and joy and, and hope and peace, assurance being the one thing I want to I get wrapped up here, okay? We, we, we just rest. 
Again, we come to church and we're just like, we come to church and we just get our head up over the water for a second. We start doggy paddling in the grace of God. And we're just like, man, this is what I need. I need to be reminded that salvation is of the Lord. I need to be reminded that God made us alive. God made you alive. He's not going to unmake you alive. Be assured. God birthed you again. He is not going to unbirth you again. God gave you a new heart. He is not going to give you your old heart back. God gave you eternal life, not temporal if you can make it to the end life. God effectually called you. God did not defectually called you, which defectually is not a word, but there you go. God's grace is effectual because he's God. God, in his great love and mercy and grace, saved you. He is not going to unsave you, dear child of God. God made you a new creation. He is not going to now uncreate you because you sinned or failed to live up to his requirements this week. Ultimately, what this teaches us, irresistible grace, and I love this, here we go, God's grace is unstoppable for his people. God's grace is undefeated. The undefeated champion of the world is God. And his weapon for us is grace and love and mercy. We're not going to thwart God's plan. Our ugliness, our sufferings, our worries, doubts, fears, our lack of trust, sometimes our our weak faith, our weak obedience. You're not going to throw a knockout punch, right hand uppercut to God's grace. Not, Not today, not yesterday, not tomorrow, not ever. God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. He loves you so much that he chose you before the foundations of the world. He loves you so much that he sends his son to live for you, to die for you. He loves you so much that he rose again from the grave for you. He loves you so much that he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for you right now. He loves you so much he's coming back for you. He loves you so much that that you, you, you had no desire for him, and yet he gave you a desire for him, the greatest desire anybody could ever have. So what do we do with that? We worship God. Elijah, you can come up. Peter says this, one more verse. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, this isn't some stuff that's like, oh, heady, 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 that guy reads too much, and, or this is just the theologians just talk. This, all this is is debate, 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 argument, 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 Facebook, 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 Twitter, Twitter, comments, YouTube comments. This is, that's all it is. No, 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 no. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. Why? so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness, effectually called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Praise God for his irresistible grace. There is absolutely no hope for mankind without it. Thanks be to God. He is a savior who seeks the lost, who with eyes supernaturally foresighted, discerns us a long way off. 
and draws our interest to himself by the sweet constraint of his grace. Till we are face to face with him and our soul is saved. As once in the incarnation he came down from heaven to seek mankind, so he still comes down silently from heaven in the case of each sinner and pursues his search for that individual soul, following it through all the mazes of its waywardness and the devious paths of its folly, sometimes unto the very brink of destruction, till at last his grace overtakes it. Oh, that's a boss. I could never write like that. But praise the Lord. God doesn't give up on you. He never has. He never will. And so we pray and praise God. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen.